that's one. Welcome to the CTSNet podcast. My name's Joel Dunning, and I'm really excited to have the most special guest that I could possibly have, uh, Sean Grondin. Uh, Sean, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, Sean, you're the president of the STS. Not only are you president of the STS, but you are the first Canadian president. Um, I was always so impressed with your international focus. You did a world tour of units in China and Asia and Europe before being president. Uh, obviously, you bring that extra flavour of internationality to the, the STS. So I'm sure I'm not the only person delighted uh, that you are the president this year. But what a crazy year. It's been bonkers. And so maybe just as a, a First question, how has your crazy year been? How was that virtual meeting and, and what has been so different? Great. Well, thank you, Joel. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to see you again and talk. Uh, you know, I have fond memories of visiting you in Middlesbrough and seeing all the cool things that you're doing. Well, you know, it has been a, a crazy year. There's no doubt about that. I think all of us have had to adapt with what's been going on with COVID, uh, particularly since uh, things started last year. It's a very sad and tragic uh, event worldwide. Uh, we see some rays of hope, obviously, what's happening with the vaccines, which is great. Um, but it has, uh, it has uh, forced uh, many of the um, societies to kind of think about how they do business. And I think that's actually a good thing. Um, you know, in particular, at the STS, we ran our, our virtual meeting, which turned out to be very successful, uh, very happy with it. We had over 42 countries represented on the meeting with over 3,000 participants. And um, you know that we received some feedback that was uh, very good on the meeting and also some constructive feedback for us to try and think about as we move forward. Our, our hope is of course, uh, next year in Miami in January that we can meet in person. It would be really great to see my friends in person. Uh, and we're looking at you know various hybrid platform uh, offerings from vendors so that we can still maybe maintain that uh, hybrid or sort of virtual component because that seemed to be uh, very helpful to people that can't make the meeting in person. So we're seeing what we can do. Um, obviously technology is advancing and so on. So we're, we're really looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, that's been probably the, the biggest challenge is uh, pivoting to a sort of virtual education. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that sort of move to the virtual world and, and, and fascinated by what your vision of a hybrid meeting is. I guess we've all been experiencing virtual meetings and, and actually there's a lot of good, the fact that we don't have to take a week out to go and visit. And then there's a lot not so good. We can't meet people in the bar and hear all the stories. But so what, what is your vision of a hybrid meeting? Yeah, well, that's, a, that's an excellent question because there's a lot of different versions of that. And even uh, some uh, um, colleagues at different societies, whether that's the American College of Surgeons, are trying to figure this out as well, whether the educational component is delivered virtually um, with the ability for people to be uh, present locally as well in the conference center and having you know, the abilities for, say, someone like yourself, if you're in Middlesbrough, to ask a question and come up on the screen so that you're actually part of the discussion uh, live with the, the moderators and so on. So that's what we're trying to hope for in an optimal fashion. The problem is, is the logistics of that is, is fairly complicated, as I found out. Um, but we're working on it and technology is improving. And I think we're going to be able to offer something that's truly unique uh, come January. Uh, and once again, not everybody will be able to, to travel, uh, whether that's COVID restrictions or also just uh, based on people being busy. And so the ability to to 
not only record the meeting, but some of the great content will be, I think, helpful to people. So that's sort of what we're trying to figure out is what component. I don't think, as you said, we can ever replace the, the networking or going for a pint with one of our, our friends uh, after a meeting in the conference. I think we never can replace that, but I think that that's uh, sort of what we're thinking. And how would you struggle with the attendee pricing and things? Because, you know, these these virtual conferences end up a bit less. And then if it's a bit less, nobody's going to come. So do you make it even? Do you make one more or less? Or, or do we have no idea? Yeah, no, I don't know what the answer to that is. That's a very good question. But I think that um, at the end of the day, people will want to come in person, to, once again, to have that networking social component. So I think, you know, the pricing is to be determined and we're trying to figure that out. Um, Obviously, you know, we try and uh, work with our industry partners as well, how we can uh, make the, the meetings uh, helpful to them as well so they can, uh, you know, uh, interact with our members and so on and show them some great new, cool, uh, innovative uh, technologies as well. So those are some of the things, but the, the pricing is one, one thing that I think a lot of societies are struggling with these days. Yeah, it's the same for everyone. Well, let's move on to some exciting things. And, and the SDS, one of the absolute strengths is your amazing database. And, uh, and you're doing a huge amount of hard work with your SDS database. So maybe you could tell us about the exciting transitions you've been making. Yes, well, thanks. Uh, so, you know, probably three or four years ago, the officers and the executive team decided that, you know, we felt it was the time to start to update our database. Um, and that goes along with some of the technologies we're seeing with your iPhone or whatever it might be going to a cloud-based system and so on. And so we started the journey of looking at various options to update our database, um, which uh, landed us on working with a, a company called IQV. And we're in the process of transitioning over 8 million records over. And um, like anything, like building a house, there's always a little few twists and turns that uh, make a make a, you know, an update uh, challenging, but at the same time, we've been able to you know, manage that fairly well, certainly for our adult cardiac database and our general thoracic database is coming online soon along with our congenital. And I must say the dashboards are fantastic. I've looked at them. I think that the people are gonna be very happy with them. We also been able to partner with our NCDI colleagues as well, so that now we have longitudinal uh, data uh, as opposed to just 30 day uh, data. So we're going to be able to uh, allow our participants to track some of their outcomes in a much more uh, lengthy fashion, look for trends that will allow them to, to make adjustments uh, locally in their own institution. So exciting times, uh, you know, a huge investment uh, financially by, the, by folks uh, at the SPS, but at the same time, you know, we, we've heard some comments about trying to, to simplify the database. So we've cut the number of variables for input uh, in all three databases. So once again, uh, we're trying to figure out how we can do this easier for our participants, but to keep the same high quality uh, that we've received. You know, this is an award-winning database. So we want to try and keep the same quality uh, for our participants and, and for our patients. Great. And if there was a one word sort of what advantage will this have for your participants for this database, what would that be? What's the big clincher for why it's going to be great? Yeah, I think it would be uh, probably uh, if I could use a, a hyphen, a cloud based system. So it, it allows people to to really put their information in, uh, and then get immediate feedback on uh, some of their uh, trends. And the risk adjustment, of course, is what the database is famous for so that will allow uh you know people to to see where they stand and look for obvious uh abnormalities or you know 
I say uh, red flags that might allow them to correct some of the behaviors or, or things that are going on in their institution. Yeah, great. Well, well done with that work. It is a fantastic and important thing that the SDS is doing for the community. And, and I guess the other thing that the SDS does is, is interact with government. Uh, you've had a, a government change. Uh, um, obviously, we're, we're very happy in Britain. And, and, uh, and so uh, from the SDS point of view, what do you think the, the future, the next year, interacting with government's going to entail? What are your main focus areas? Yeah, so SDS has always had a strong history of advocacy and we invest significantly in that area, not just in the U.S., but we've had uh, other outreach programs uh, in uh, other countries as well. Uh, but obviously, the, the prime focus of activity is in the U.S. We are non or you know, bipartisan as it would be. We uh, work with both in the U.S., the Republicans and Democrats as an example, so we don't have a favorite um, and we work with the leaders in both of those areas to advance some of our issues. A key issue that we've been uh, addressing has been uh, some of the uh, decreased funding for surgeons that came about before Christmas. And we uh, coupled in a collaboration with the American College of Surgeons and a few other associations to sort of uh, bring information to not only the public, but uh, legislators so that that was put on hold. That was going to amount to a anywhere between a 10 to 12% cut in um, uh, fees for surgeons in the U.S. And we were able to put that on hold with a vigorous discussion and lobbying. It's coming back again. So that'll be once again, an area where we want to try and make sure that the value of cardiothoracic surgeons is well illustrated to both the patients and the legislators so that you know, we were able to get our message across about the great work that we do. Yeah, well, fantastic with that. I'm sure people will watch with bated breath uh, on that one. And uh... Uh, that's great. And, and, and it was really good that you brought up how collaborative the STS is. You, you collaborate really well, especially with the AATS. And, uh, and I guess you're collaborating with guidelines with them. And uh, maybe just give us a guide on, on how, how you are collaborating over the coming years with them. Yeah. yeah so, you know, our AATS colleagues, uh, I have a lot of respect for, and we, we certainly uh, want to work with them collaboratively, particularly in this area of guidelines. We, we collaborate with them on a whole bunch of different things. We actually have a an agreement with them on how we work through some of these guidelines. And um, we have groups uh, of experts who come together and try and identify the key topics uh, that we want to address. And we try and also reach out to our EACs and ESTS colleagues as well to get uh, feedback from our European colleagues on some of the uh, guidelines they put together as well as some of our Asian colleagues. This helps us to try and determine the best you know, approach to a particular guideline. Sometimes it requires uh, a multi-continent or a worldwide approach. Um, we do have an app on our STS uh, site that allows you to look at clinical guidelines as well. It's something people may want to check out uh, that's available as well. So that's something that we're trying to do to try and get into that digital uh, age so that people can look up things uh, uh, quickly if needed. Yeah, no, that's really good. I've seen it. It's absolutely outstanding. And all your guideline work is, is, is absolutely excellent. And I guess guidelines moves on to training. And, uh, and I guess training can only have taken a hit this year. So where, where do you see the future of training? What guidance can the SDS give with that? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think our trainees have felt the stress of uh, the pandemic and, you know, the inability to travel to sea centers for to for potential future training or jobs has been really a challenge. Uh, the SDS is trying to do things at, at, at several le levels. We've uh, developed a mentorship 
series as well as a leadership series for early career surgeons. Um, and as well, uh, you know, we're, we invite, as, as you probably already know, several uh, medical students are free of charge to come to our annual meeting to experience uh, the STS um, and its activities, um, getting, identifying potential um, future colleagues early in the pipeline, so to speak, that might have an interest so that we can kind of let them know what our specialty is about and, and all the great things that we do. So there's a lot of that uh, that we're doing. The other thing as well, the STS has partnered with uh, the Thoracic Surgery Residence Association to uh, fund uh, the boot camp that occurs uh, in the U.S. for the residents. So we are now funding that and organizing it in concert with them so that, um, you know, the simulated uh, version is going to be happening soon, but um, our virtual uh, meeting is going to be happening soon, but we're going to be seeing once we can get back to meeting in person, we'll be doing a, the boot camp uh, live as well. So we're trying to, um, you know, plug into some of these different areas uh, for the different residents uh, to help with their education. And the final thing I would add is, um, you know, wellness has been a, a very critical thing, not only for the staff, but as well as I mentioned for the uh, trainees. And so uh, Mike Mattis is uh, leading um, uh, our task force on wellness. He'll be having a webinar in the next few weeks on wellness, which residents and, and staff are invited to. And we'll have uh, increased offerings at our annual meeting that will allow for residents to, to explore those types of uh, challenges uh, that, you know, that work-life balance is so critical nowadays for maintaining a strong practice and a strong personal life. Yeah, now that's a, a really good thing to be supporting and uh, absolutely bang on the mark, isn't it? It's uh, well done with that. That's really important. And, uh, and I guess you're a thoracic surgeon and the SDS has cardiac surgery. I guess two questions, really. What do you think the most, the biggest challenges are over the next couple of years in both thoracic and cardiac surgery? I think for, I think in uh, thoracic surgery, um, I think there's two challenges. One is the incredible innovations that are coming along with new robotic technology that I know you are, are leading as well, but that's certainly uh, staying up to date with some of those technologies and how do we safely assess, assess them and then disseminate them appropriately. I think that's probably one of our biggest issues. Um, as well, as you know, uh, there's a lot of innovative um, adjuvant therapies coming out, immunotherapy that, are, that is coming out that I think we need to ensure that the thoracic surgeons are educated about and partnering with our industry uh, partners when it comes to some of these adjuvant therapies so that we understand them and can participate in trials to make sure that they're benefiting our patients, I think is critical. Um, for cardiac surgery, there's a whole host of things that, uh, that uh, are you know, coming forward, but I think the, the whole um, idea of you know, the evolution in valve surgery to minimally invasive techniques that continues to evolve and identifying the proper patients to benefit from those technologies, I think is critical. We're starting to see uh, we're, we're pushing the boundaries in some of these technologies to see what, what's best for patients. So that seems to be uh, one of the biggest challenges. And then, of course, the coronary work, it, it, it's always amazing to me that there seems to be always new um, innovations in the coronary work and some of our coronary conferences, uh, like the one uh, that Dr. Ruel ran and uh, was to run in Canada but couldn't run uh, due to the pandemic. But that, there's a full uh, registration for that meeting in terms of people uh, looking for advice on coronary work and so on. So I think updating some of those technologies and, and approaches is going to be critical. Yeah. 
it's a crazy year for you as president, isn't it? Unbelievable. I don't know how you maintain work as a, as a practicing surgeon, but you do. I mean, I don't know how you fit it in, uh, but that's absolutely amazing. Um, so it's been wonderful talking to you. I just have one last question. I know you love your, your foreign travel. Uh, I guess you haven't been out of uh, North America for a while. Where's the first place you're going to go when the restrictions are lifted? Yes, well, as you know, we're... we're... Uh, we're struggling with the pandemic in Canada as it stands uh, today. Uh, so uh, the borders aren't going to be opening up very soon. And our institution certainly isn't supporting uh, travel. But um, I'm hopeful that uh, the, the first place that I'll get to go will be our SGS uh, Miami meeting. That's what I'm targeting. I'm not sure what will happen in the fall. Uh, I don't want to get uh, disappointed. Uh, but uh, uh, hopefully we can all meet up in Miami and uh, once again share a pint. That would be great to see you there, Joel. Yeah, well, thank you so much for talking to us and myself, Joel Dunning, everyone at CTSnet and everyone involved in the SDS. Thank you so much for your leadership. You've been absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure we're going to have a, a great year with the SDS with you in charge. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time, Joel. Nice to see you.